Hello, I'm Mariette Smeyman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today our topic is how to reconnect your mind and your body. My guest is Dr. Elsie Mayer, an educational psychologist trained in hypnotherapy, kinesiologist, teacher and author from Pretoria. Welcome, Elsie. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, Marie. Thank you for having me. And hello to the listeners. To our listeners, after our conversation, Elsie will give us her three best tips on keeping your life nice and simple. And then it will be fun question time. Elsie, the pandemic has shaken up many things, including many things that we value. I think most of us have become more focused on our health, either on staying healthy or on recovering. You've written a book called Remind Your Body, Shift Your Thinking to Liberate the Body-Mind. And in these times when medication often doesn't provide adequate protection against the coronavirus, we need to find new ways to make us more resilient. In this respect, we're going to look at two things that you touch on in your book. Firstly, understanding and strengthening our connection to our body. And secondly, the role of the awakening that takes place from conception till the day we die. My first question is, how come many of us are not really connected to our body? Mariette, Today, our main focus of each day is on things that happens on the outside, around us. We need to earn a living, we need to achieve, we need to adhere to a routine, and we need to have certain possessions. Most people wake up with an alarm and jump into the day and it's and its external demands instead of gradually waking up from the body, becoming aware of the body, centering the mind inside the body. By honoring routine, we do not often realize how we disconnect from the natural rhythm that is inside the body. When people care for their bodies, they often only regard the appearance of the body and the physical parameters. They know what their cholesterol levels are. They know when they have an absence of illness. In an extreme case, this can become a worship of the body. The true connection to the body happens when we are aware of how the body feels on the inside. It seems strange to most people, but It is really so important to connect to the felt sense in the body. With practices such as meditation, creativity, we can restore this connection. And then we worship from the body. And the body becomes our temple where we are calmed. And the body is teaching us everything we have to know. Elsie, which signs show us that we need to reconnect to our body? There are many signs that, te- that shows us 
that we are disconnected on the mental level. We have mental stress and it almost became the normal in our life. We have people have burnout. There's a lot of monkey chatter in the mind. And there's also the deteriorating of brain function, which people also think is something that happens normally to people who grow older, which is not really true. It's because of the disconnection. On the emotional level, we see a lot of anxiety, depression, and feelings of hopelessness. On the physical level, people become sleepless, Chronic pain is a big one and there are many, many people around with chronic pain and they believe that they need medication for the chronic pain. All autoimmune diseases relates to people that are disconnected from their bodies and actually everything that happens in your uh, uh, life that you don't think is ideal can be due to the fact that you are not connected to your body-mind. I think few of us even think about it in those terms. That's right. In your book, you talk about the various layers of the mind and how we can use them to awaken a healthy relationship with our body. Could you please say more about this? Yes, Mariette, what we need to understand here is that in theory, the mind can be dissected into different levels. But in reality, the mind is only one thing. Whatever happens on one level reflects on all other levels, even when it is disconnected. Consider a committee that has to oversee a certain issue. Each member has a different part to play. But in the end, the goal and the direction have to be the same. Most people have learned to cultivate emotional intelligence. They brought the emotional mind into the conscious mind. And they become aware of how emotions affect them. This is already a big step. Because just by doing this, it has been proven that it improves our immunity, something we desperately need in this pandemic. This conscious mind and subconscious mind that meets each other really take us a far way. However, without bringing the body-mind with its power and wisdom into consciousness, we lack powerful and immediate changes as well as the sustainability of the change we need. What we have to know is that emotions are much easier to control and diffuse in the body-mind than in the conscious mind, especially when we try to, to over-rationalize our emotions. How can transforming our unconscious mind into what you call a body-conscious mind benefit us? Transforming the unconscious mind into a body-mind is when we become aware of the felt sense of the body. And only then we start unlocking the gems and the wisdom of the body. It's when we, the body becomes the temple. 
And once our awareness starts growing, the wisdom that has always been there, and there's immense wisdom in the body, is starting to be translated into words. Now the conscious mind can make use of it in a logical way to make further decisions and to choose behavior. When we are willing to do this, we are releasing stuck energy to flow freely again and to benefit us on mental, emotional, and on a physical level. So I think this sounds strange to many of us. What can we do to develop this healthy relationship with our body? I think the most difficult part of what we can do for intelligent people is to accept the simplicity of what we need to do. In actual fact, Mariet, the more simple it is, the more effective it will become. Remember, the language of the body-mind is very limited and simple. It understands movement, colors, shapes, sounds, rhythms, textures. So even by playing games, dancing, breathing consciously, we have a powerful way to reconnect the to the body. It is important also to know that it is a reconnection. The connection has been there. But in our modern lifestyle, that connection started to deteriorate. The second thing to remember is that when we enjoy something, we are connecting from the body and to the body. Enjoyment can only be experienced from the body. Many people are even unable to list to me things that they truly enjoy. I ask my clients, what do you enjoy doing? They don't know. They only know what they need to do. And by returning to at least one thing that we really enjoy, it could be something that you enjoy eating, clothes that you enjoy wearing, reading a book, we already start reconnecting to the body. Now, how does this discussion relate to what we call gut feel? Gut feel is really the awareness of the inner felt sense of the body. It's visceral. And when translated into words and logic, it's actually our intuition that we become aware of and act on. This is a term that we often find in Eastern disciplines. Those people will actually tell you that when they have an idea to consider, they swallow it and they feel the idea within the body. And when that feeling is translated into words and logic, they act on it and they will tell you just how spot on and powerful the information is that they receive from the body. You know, Mariette, it's such a pity. We have no idea how much knowledge, how much wisdom is in our bodies and the simple way and ways that we can actually use to retrieve it. Yes, I think often when you meet someone, for instance, you get a certain sense That's about right. the person. So that might be one of the examples. Yes, 
And also some people have a gut feel ever since they um, grew up and they never lose the ability to connect to the gut to make decisions. But the more logic we are, the more difficult this becomes. Those people really struggle like um, uh, people who does bookkeeping, CAs, auditors, uh, attorneys, they always have to deal with logical and exact facts and they struggle with that. Now we've talked about the connection between the mind and the body and now we come to the second part of our podcast which focuses on the role of the awakening that takes place from conception till the day we die. Now awakening I think is something that many people don't often talk about but in your book you take us on the journey of awakening that takes place lifelong. How would you define awakening? Marie, awakening is in a simple term an heightened awareness. We have many thoughts and emotions that are present in our minds and it influences our emotions and behavior to some or other degree. If we are not aware of these thoughts and emotions, we witness that some of our behavior really doesn't serve us, but we are unable to change it. Growing awareness of the thoughts, emotions, and the felt sense of the body gives us far better choice over these thoughts and effectively change our emotions and behavior. Awakening implies that we see the bigger picture of life. Our frame of reference expands from our personal needs to understanding the patterns not only in our own life, but in our community and globally. This pandemic really waked us up to the intensity of global patterns and the influence it has over us. Awakening is really a very spiritual thing and our own needs becomes less important. But whatever we do brings far better satisfaction when we start living as awakened people. What are the advantages of awakening? The advantage of living from a bigger frame of reference, of being more aware, is, and this is also very beneficial in these times, we are less shaken by what happens. We become more centered. And if we see what this pandemic did with us, what it does to us when we hear the numbers of people that are testing positively, the numbers of people admitted to hospitals. So many people just become fearful. But when we are centered in our bodies, we react quite differently. And regardless of what happens, we start loving life more. We are fearing death less. So we can start living. And a fear of death is really a fear of life. You know, I'm so sad and if I see how afraid people became of life 
of each other in this time. But when they connect to their body, they only have to connect to their breath and they will see how much quality they will be able to add to life. What we see from these people is that they are more flexible, they have a zest for life, and they are more spontaneous when they act. It's really nice people to be around with. And the thing that I like most when people start to awaken, these people seems to be at the right time and at the right place. And that is because they bring their body-mind on board and they actually act from their gut feel. And that is a lovely compass to have in life. Yeah, since you said the body has so much wisdom. Yes. In your book, you explain that our beliefs or belief systems are strongly connected to how our lives unfold. Could you please talk about this? Yes. When we have thoughts that are electrified by strong emotions, or when it is often repeated, would it be consciously or subconsciously, it becomes a belief. And we do not always realize how strongly we live by these beliefs. Our words and actions are always in line with these beliefs. That is why it is so important to be aware of the words we think and speak out loud about the world and also about ourselves. For example, Mariette, someone who grew up in a family with a violent father who anxiously had to flee from his verbal or physical attacks may start believing that all men are a threat to you. These people may create relationships, but only with men who are violent. And it will actually prove the belief that is not true by which their lives is governed. Yeah, you've now spoken about awakening and I realize that we have all been on this journey for a long time. And if you describe the four phases, which I'm going to ask you now, then... Listeners will understand why. The four phases that you mention in your book are conception, and then secondly, maternal awareness. Thirdly, the development of logical thinking. And the last phase, developing the understanding that goes beyond logical reasoning. So please describe to us the first phase, which is conception. Marie, yes, this is a very special time and I always enjoy taking someone back to the time of conception. There is at the time of, or just before conception, a very strong presence of a divine light. There is also knowledge of the challenges that will be faced in the life to come. But nothing can disturb the peace that the light brings during this time. For instance, when someone has a disability or someone has a sexual preference that people do not accommodate and even judge, at the time before conception, 
they will know that this will be part of their life. But they will also understand that they are equipped to deal with it. And it's part of their journey. And I have not asked anyone, but I am so sure that when any one of us alive now on this planet will be taken back to that time just before conception, we would be aware that there will come this global pandemic with all its challenges. But the most important, we would also be aware that we would be able to cope with it, whatever it will bring to us. Yeah, so you're now talking about people you take back to the moment of conception during hypnotherapy. Yes, that's right. And my following question is, you write that this awakening creates emotions that feel good. Could you please elaborate? Yes, uh, Mariette, we are equipped with certain virtues. And the fetus is extremely aware of those virtues that they have. And they are described in many of the spiritual um, scriptures. It's love, it's forgiveness, it's gratitude, courage. All those things are the virtues with which we are issued. And it's present in that wonderful divine light that we experience as we come into this physical world. Now we come to the second phase, which is maternal awareness. When does this phase start? This phase starts the moment the mother becomes aware of the fetus in her womb. We, we call it the moment of maternal awareness, and it's, it's a very exact time. And what is very interesting to me today is that in the past, people didn't immediately know that they would be pregnant. Women wouldn't know that. Today, we have many planned pregnancies. We have many in vitro pregnancies. And the mother knows much sooner that there is a fetus in her womb. And it's interesting, but I am convinced that that also creates a bit of tension because it's a shorter period that this fetus can adapt to the physical world without the interference of human emotions. Yeah, so you connect the maternal awareness with human emotions. And I know you write that during this phase, the fetus becomes aware of negative emotions for the first time. Now, how does this happen? The fetus becomes aware of the feelings of the mother. And this is also visceral, because remember, only, there are only a few cells. And, but they experience the vibration of these emotions. And these emotions that they experience can then become the seed for later um, strong emotions that connect to this experience. For instance, the mother is very anxious and at the age of 6 or 18 or even 60, a person might experience anxiety attacks. And to really um, diffuse the anxiety, it is 
very beneficial to go back to that moment when the fetus started to experience the anxiousness of the mother. It's also the emotions of, of uh, significant people. It can be grandparents. It, it's always the father, the relationship between the mother and the father, the, re- the relationship in the home. There might be siblings that are very um, jealous and the fetus would pick that up as well as a vibration. But it seems very negative. This is not all that happens. This is only to explain where future pathology would come from. A lot of the time, the fetus is really relaxed and at peace. The more the fetus actually experiences blocked emotions, the stronger this seed becomes and the stronger the possibility that this emotion will be repeated in life. But the other thing that happens when they start becoming aware of these emotions that blocks the energy, they, it's like as if they draw a veil over the virtues that they are issued with in the first place. And they become a bit more uncertain of who they are, where they are, and how they will cope. Yeah, so they lose sight of the virtues. Yes, yes. Now, this phase also includes birth, and how can the way we depart the womb impact on our future life? Yeah, it's a short question with a long answer. (laughs) Uh, When the baby suffers a lot during birth, the baby may suffer from anxiety and even depression, because if it's a long birth, the baby struggles to get through to take the first breath. And the lack of oxygen makes any person anxious and and the baby as well. Even though the pressure from the birth canal is important for certain things to happen, doesn't mean every baby has to, uh, every mother has to go a cesarean to keep the baby from experiencing that. There are also benefits from. This may also influence the way people uh, complete tasks. I had a very interesting case of a woman who came to me with depression. And when we got to her birth, I knew that it was a cesarean, but I realized that this baby didn't understand that a different route had to be taken to get out. And she actually, a part of her thought that she was never born, And I reaffirmed that this is just a different way of getting her out of the womb. And what we also do then is we repeat the birth as if they go through the canal. And the next week she came back and she said, Elsie, I didn't tell you, but I never ever complete tasks. But this week I completed every task that I had to do. It must be wonderful to see that practical solution or resolution. It's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah. You mentioned three factors that can diffuse negative beliefs and experiences formed in the womb. These three factors are when the baby is um, fed well, good nutrition, and when the baby has enough oxygen, and when the baby receives enough love from significant people. 
And the the interesting part here is that the baby cannot discriminate between these three. When they suffer from a lack of oxygen, they actually also suffer from a lack of love. And when the mother is very ill, not of her own fault, but if she's ill and she her body cannot provide enough nutrition to the baby, the baby will also experience it as a lack of love. Elsie, the third phase you describe is the development of logical thinking. What does this entail? The development of logical thinking is a very exciting phase in any child's life because that is when they learn to use words, start counting, make simple calculations. They start being able to reason, but we need to understand it's only in a simple way. It's beautiful to witness and it really makes people excited and um, they love witnessing it. And our logical thinking only starts then. It is when children start achieving things. And it's so enjoyable to achieve that they keep on trying and trying. And it's so beautiful, for instance, to see them doing the most simple uh, calculations and they can they can develop and do more difficult and more difficult calculations. But the problem is that we have to balance this with the creative mind. And when the this development comes to a phase where they are forced to only use their logical minds and not to use the creative mind as often, our problem starts because and many people think of the creative mind as part of the subconscious mind. It's not. The conscious mind is equally logical and creative. And the art of an enjoyable and effective light, life is really to balance these two minds in our lives. What are the differences between the world of the creative mind and the world of rational thought? Yeah, the world of the creative mind and the world of the rational thought, it's two very different worlds. And when we see them as opposites, we start an infighting in our own minds. But when we see them as complementary, a new world opens to us. It's a, it's a dance that brings a lot of enjoyment. The rational world focuses on details rather than the whole, while the creative minds love the big picture much more than it likes detail. The rational world executes sequential thinking and holds on to logical thoughts while the creative mind hosts free-flowing thoughts that come and go. The logical, uh, rational mind has a side product, namely stress, that we do not always realize. Even if we calculate 1 plus 1, we get to the answer 2, but there is a degree of stress that influences the mind. In the creative mind, it's much easier for the thoughts to be accompanied by feelings of serenity and safety. Because 
It finds solutions through symbols, rhythms, space, sounds, feelings. And in doing so, there are limitless possibilities. While the logical, rational mind seeks a single and a correct outcome. And the interesting thing is that the rational mind can only find a solution when there is only one variable. And I would like the listeners to just think about life and how very few problems has only one variable. But by keep on trying to think it through logically, we not only have a senseless, repetitive thinking and thinking that comes to no outcome, but we also add a lot of stress to our lives. The creative mind can perform thoughts randomly and also tasks, but the rational mind, when it's in control, it executes thoughts in a serial pattern. Think of the, the uh, left-brained people. They like to go from step one, two, three, four. People like me, I'm very right-brained, and I step into things and then I start ordering it and see what, <laughs> what needs to be done next. It's not always too effective, but I enjoy doing it that way. <laughs> The creative mind is actually the part of the conscious mind that makes awareness and control of the inner world, of the emotional mind and the body-mind possible, where the rational, logical mind involves the experience of the outer world, the outside world. The creative mind remains inquisitive and expressive, while the rational mind becomes bored without external stimulation and without immediate success. It needs achievements to feel good. The creative mind, lastly, it embraces experience rather than outcome, while the rational mind has a need to learn and work to perfection. Yes, when I read this part in your book, and of course you go into much more detail, I realized how important it is to balance all the rational work we do with something like process art. That's right. Where it doesn't matter what the outcome is. Yes, yes. And we are so outcome and uh, outcome driven. We need something before we give ourselves permission to do something. Whether we embark on this part of the journey is our choice, not so. Yes, it is a choice. There are people who choose never to do it. There are people who know exactly how to do it, but they never actually go into their body and awaken to the bigger picture. They will even give a lecture on the topic, but never do so in person. Other people just slip into this phase naturally, but most people will be able to tell you why they decided to make the choice of going into an awakened mind and world. 
And that's, if I understand correctly, is often because they went through a very difficult period. Very often. A wake-up call. It happens. For myself, it was a discomfort in a world that is presented as being logical, in a world that are run by scientific measurements in order to make the life predictable. And there are many people who feel the same as I do. They see through the many rules that are presented as safety measures. But in fact, these rules benefit only a very small percentage of people. These people want to claim back having a choice to live their life with. Choice is one of the most important things that we can have in life. And by, by exercising choice, we are actually strengthening this connection between the conscious mind and the body-mind. The interesting thing about choice born from the awakened mind is that the choice respects other, other people and it is not selfish and it is not only the individual that will benefit from it, but choices that comes from only rational reasoning can very often be beneficial to the thinker, but not at all to other people around them. So regarding this fourth phase, where in life do we see people naturally awakening to the bigger picture? Mariette, where I often see it is in religious groups where people start thinking about religion and it is not that religion is not important today. Religion is a very important part of putting people through this pandemic and through crises in life. But people are waking up to rules that are no longer beneficial to the members of the, of the religion. And people start thinking about it and they start letting go of rules that create more fear than safety. And they let these redundant rules go. How can your book assist us on this journey of awakening? What I try to show the readers is, one, how powerful the body-mind is in relation to the logical mind. We tend to think the logical mind is the, is the clever one, but the powerful one is the body-mind. And how the body is part of our minds and our bodies are begging us to restore the broken connection. And I think this, this pandemic really is an outflow of that cry. And then I want to show them how to reconnect in the most simple ways. The journey to the outside and the journey to the inside has exactly the same length. It's a, it can be a very long, deep and interesting journey to the inside. Mm. Where can listeners find your book, Elsie, and information on your work? Mariette, it is available on Amazon in the Kindle version. It is also available at Exclusive Books and Bargain Books. People can also uh, contact me if they live close to me and I can uh, send a book to them.
The name of my website is www.lcmayer and the LC has lost its last E. So it's E-L-S-I-M-E-Y-E-R dot COSA. And there they will find information. And the work that I focus on now is a conscious journaling and it's a seven-week online program if they are interested. Now for your three best tips on keeping your life nice and simple. Yes, Marie, it's to keep the life light and to smile often. The body responds beautifully to a smile. Every day we have to to breathe deeply and consciously. And the third thing is to cultivate a program of meditation. And meditations can really be so simple. Don't think you have to sit somewhere and struggle for a half an hour. It can be extremely simple. I prefer somatic meditations. And my way of determining whether a meditation was good or not is to measure the amount of joy I have after the, the meditation. And short somatic meditations give me by far the most joy. So somatic, you mean you focus on the body? On the body, yes. Thank you. And now I have a fun question for you. In your book, you mentioned that you spend time with the sun people in the Kalahari. Yes, that's right. If you were to live with the sun people for a length of time, what would you enjoy most? Oh, definitely their simple life. They walk barefoot. They eat from nature. They read nature like we read a newspaper. They see all the tracks. They understand the time frame of the tracks and the droppings of the animals. It's, it's a, a wonderful experience to go with them into the bush and just to experience what they can see. Thank you, Elsie. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Mariette, for the invitation and for having me. To our listeners, thank you for listening. And if you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, If you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.